Private Lender Podcast, Episode 80. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Peter Lynch, who said, If you're prepared to invest in a company, then you ought to be able to explain why in a simple language that a fifth grader could understand, and quickly enough so the fifth grader won't get bored. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and Lender Nation. And first and foremost, congratulations to the U.S. Women's National Team for taking the World Cup, their fourth fourth World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. So congratulations, and thanks for representing the USA in such grand fashion. You're listening to Episode 80 of the Private Lender Podcast, and I'm your host, Keith Baker. Today, I have a very special guest, H. Quincy Long, the founder and creator of Quest Trust Company. As many of you know, that is the self-directed IRA custodian that I use because they're in my hometown and the whole reason why I am a private lender because of Quest Trust Company and all the great education and networking that they've provided their clients over uh, more than a decade now, uh, a lot longer than that. So I'm going to have Quincy talk about his due diligence process when he makes a loan, a private loan. And also we get into, ask him a little bit about when he lends across state lines, some of the good and the bad there and what he does to help you know, mitigate risk and make himself feel comfortable with making that loan across state lines. But before we get into that, I do want to mention that this episode is sponsored by Quest Trust Company and their self-directed IRA Expo, which will be held in my hometown, Houston, this August 23rd through the 25th, 2019. You can go to privatelenderpodcast.com slash expo to get the links to the ticket and use the PL Podcast as your discount code and you'll receive 25% off of your ticket. So privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash expo and use PL podcast as your promo code. So, all right. I'm excited to let you guys listen to one of the smartest people that I know in the real estate investing world and probably just on the planet in general. Let's go ahead and get to the brass tacks and to the interview with Quincy Long. Lender Nation, today I'm honored to have Quincy Long from Quest Trust Company on the show today. Quincy, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thank you. Welcome for having me. Normally I ask for your origin story, your comic book story, where you came from, but I know you used to be a title attorney, so I think you probably tell your story best. Kind of tell us how you got to where you are today. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur. When I first started the company, or the predecessor to the company, what I did is I was a fee attorney for American Title Company. And so I closed lots of real estate transactions and had a self-directed IRA. And the guy that says, I'm not only the president of Hair Club for Men, but whatever he says, I'm a customer. Also a client, yeah. I had a self-directed IRA and I had all these real estate contacts. And basically one day, my third-party administrator at the time said, uh, hey, we wanted to sign affiliate offices throughout the country. And I said, sign me up. I'm bored with what I'm doing. Really had no idea that was my interview. But anyway, fast forward, here I am. 
after many long years and lots of twists and turns with uh, Quest Trust Company, a Texas trust company and direct custodian. I fault you for getting me into private lending because it was that predecessor company. I want to say it was 08 or 09 where I came to the free education that you guys were putting on in that little triangle room that held about 12 people. <laughs> a while ago, we got most of the first floor of the building now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a, you guys pretty much, the Quest Trust is pretty much the first floor and your education room is huge with lots of IT and everything. But it was those classes that I went to and took my wife to and said, hey, we need to do this self-directed thing and got me going. And here we are over a decade later. Better than the bank, right, buddy? That's Hey, that's it. I always like to ask people, who's the bigger crook, the man who robs the bank or the man who owns it? There's really no question. Since I'm almost sort of a bank, I'm going to say the man who robbed. The man who robbed, because what he does is illegal and the owner, what he does is completely legal. Why not as just normal citizens and people out there, we can run the same game with the same rules that the banks do. Well, exactly. Once I figured out how the banks made money, I said, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good business model, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Today, I wanted to bring you on because one of the facets that I like to talk about is the diligence when looking at a private loan or lending to somebody. Mm -hmm. And I always give credit to Quest for shaping my criteria, which you know came from protect yourself first, get the return of your investment first before you worry right. about the return on it. If you don't mind, I would just like the Lender Nation to hear from my mentor about uh, due diligence and uh, where you start. That's a great question. And the first thing you said is correct. You've got to do due diligence, or as I put it, do the do. you got to do the do. D-O, the D-U-E, right? That's do, right. Do the do. So remember, always do the do. So, but I think a lot of people miss, and including me, so I'm talking from the school of hard knocks here, is that you've got to do two different kinds of due diligence when you're talking about lending. And so the first is, should be obvious to everybody listening, which is you do due diligence on the property and on the repairs to be done with the property and the deal itself, if you will. But there's a second and really far more important due diligence task, and that is to do due diligence on the person you're interacting with, whether that's a loan or a real estate transaction or a private entity investment or whatever. Your most critical due diligence is the person. I think a lot of people miss that. And just to give you one example without berating the point, I had a deal that didn't go quite according to plan. But this guy kept pushing me to loan him money. And I kept saying no because he would give me these stupid deals. And I kept saying no, no, no. Well, finally, he came up with a nice house in Kingwood, northeast of Houston. And he wanted 215000 I said, no, I'll loan you 200000 Well, that was fine. So we did the deal, and my deed of trust was recorded. Unbeknownst to me, four days later, he went to a different title company and using the gap in recording and borrowed another 215000 from somebody else. And 10 days later, sold it to homeowners with 30-year financing, saying he was going to pay me off and forgetting to mention the other $215,000. Plus, I later found out he had co-ventured the transaction with his, uh, another bidder at the foreclosure sale and took 100000 from him. 
So all in all, he took like $465,000 from people for a $100,000 investment. I knew that there, I've had other incidences, but that really reinforced for me the need to do due diligence. Because what happens, especially when you're new in investing, you meet these guys, you think, wow, they're great. They're just wonderful. I guess I can lend my money to them. They just really don't do the checking and the due diligence that they should do. And then leads to some unpleasant circumstances. Yes. I love that example. And I'd like to key in on that one that you just gave. In terms of looking back, looking forward, what steps could you or would you have taken uh, knowing what you know now? Yes. Well, I always advocate doing a little checking. Uh, For example, if it's you want to check for lawsuits in the county where you're doing the deal, and if the person or entity is somewhere else, also the county there. So that's one thing you do. In this case, he had one lawsuit that I did find, but it was like, well, people can get sued and it was dismissed or settled. But by the time I really checked him out, I found criminal cases against him and found more than one civil lawsuit. Now, mind you, I foreclosed on the property and my lien was first. So I got the property and the title company defended me. So it turned out fine for me, but if think about it for just a second, if you'd have been that second hard money lender, check out of your IRA for $215,000 and didn't have title insurance, that would be a little bit of a problem because you would lose. So, But they got their money back because of the title insurance. So that's one thing. And then also, when I was checking out after all this blew up, I started calling around people and they go, oh, yeah, that guy's a crook, or oh, yeah, he did this to me, or he did that. And I thought, well, what the heck? So that's another thing you do is you check around. We live in a small world, and believe me, if you start screwing people, then it'll get around. Another thing that I like to talk about when we're talking about due diligence on the person is I always type in their name followed by scam or fraud or something terms like that, you'd be amazed what comes up when you do that. So again, the small world and Mr. Google can figure out what you're doing. Again, you take everything with a grain of salt, of course, because anybody can say anything about anybody. The old phrase, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. It's true. And so that's kind of my take on the personal due diligence. Now, the property due diligence is obvious, I think. In my mind, you check the comps, right? You check and don't rely on somebody else to give you the comps. I've found a lot of private lender borrowers. They run these ridiculous comps. And I'm not an appraiser, so don't get me wrong. But I can tell if you have a subdivision and they're using comps from the subdivision across the freeway, that's not a comp. So also you have to check whatever the comps are. And and when I say comps, you got to verify like this house over here has marble and your house has laminate countertop. You just got to be careful. I've had a lot of people try to pull the wool over my eyes on uh, comps and repairs. That's my weak link, to be fair, is repairs because I don't know the value of the repairs. I generally... I'm going to get somebody to do the comps or the appraisal that is at least familiar with repairs to property. And that's 
that's all I can do because the most important thing that I go for is two things. I don't ever lend to somebody that I just have never met and just don't know because I don't have to. I have plenty of deal flow, right? Mm -hmm. But I also don't lend, though I lend all over the country, I don't lend where I don't have boots on the ground. And when I boots on the ground, I don't just mean the borrower. There has to be some other person that I know and trust in the area. So if something goes wrong, then I can at least send them over and take a look at the property and see what's going on, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And one of the things I'm gearing up towards in a future episode is lending out of state when you're not physically there. Right. One of your friends, Scott Carson, invests in notes all over the country and he has teams that he uses just like you would in Houston. If we're doing a deal in Houston, you know some appraisers because of your your affiliation with the real estate community, you're going to know some contractors. You're going to know some people who can sort of guide you along the way or give you some advice or at least some counsel. But let's kind of walk through one of your loans out of state and talk about that person or that team that you have, those boots on the ground, uh, like you said. I'll go two different ways with this. One where I, I screwed it up. Even better. Yeah. And then one where it succeeded much better, shall we say. Okay. In the situation where I screwed it up. This is kind of many years ago, so forgive me for this. I shouldn't be on a podcast telling how people how I messed up, should I? No, absolutely. Because I just did a couple episodes ago as we record this. I just talked about how I lost $18,000 on a second position lien, got completely wiped out with a friend. So I fully express my goof ups, my mistakes, and what were you thinkings in hopes that the people that listen don't repeat it. Yeah. Well, this was fall in the category of what were you thinking? So (laughs) basically, I did a loan. At the time, I had nobody in uh, South Carolina, or maybe it was North Carolina. I don't even remember at this point. But I did a deal with a guy who was supposedly arranging hard money loans and supposedly had all this experience and everything. So he set up this hard money loan, said that he would hold the escrow funds for repairs and If something went wrong, he would take care of it, all the typical stuff, right? So something went wrong, like he dispersed the repairs and the repairs were not completely done. The sink wasn't even hooked up, right? So, of course, the borrower defaulted and I was like, okay, well, take care of it. He says, well, don't you need to send the letter, the notice of default? I said, you said you would take care of it, just take care of it. And he said, okay, so he calls legal aid or what's the the one where you hire lawyers and pay them monthly? A legal shield or there's some other ones. Yeah, yeah. one of those. And they assigned me to a lawyer who it turns out has never done a foreclosure ever. So this was not really a good experience. And, and this was probably 10, 12 years ago. And so long story short, what happened is I ended up having to manage the repairs from a distance myself, took a deed in lieu of foreclosure, basically because the guy, the attorney was worthless and basically managed the repairs from a distance and sold it for an eight or $9,000 loss, which is one of my few losses in the 401k plan. So that was not the right way to do it. On other times, I haven't actually had to take much property back out of state simply because I've learned my lessons. <laughs> Some areas that I have invested in is Richmond, Virginia, it comes to mind, where we have the Jim Ingersoll and the Richmond Mafia, as we call them. (laughs) I've done some wonderful deals there, 
but I never ever do a deal without knowing that there's somebody else there that can check on it. So I've done a couple of deals with a real estate investor up there and everything was good, but I always call my buddy Jim or somebody else I know and trust and say, what do you think of this area? And I did that the other day and rejected a small deal in Richmond, not because I thought the guy was a crook, but just because I didn't like the report on the area. So it's just really critical that you check out these deals and learn to uh, verify, then trust, not trust and verify. Like I say, never trust, always verify. That's my motto. (laughs) Not too bad of an experience. No, I don't think I've ever taken one back myself out of state because I'm just more careful that way. Right. And this is an investor friend that you uh, rely on in the Richmond area to give you that information? I have probably 20 or 30 people in the Richmond, Virginia area that would do me the favor of driving by the house and at least assessing it or, or doing whatever. So I find that to be critical. But going back to the due diligence, I did forget to mention one thing. The most important aspect of any hard money loan, private hard money loan, is not the property, even though you think it would be. It's the person that you're loaning the money to. And if you've got somebody that has survived, particularly that has survived the downturn and not defrauded everybody and and walked away from stuff, that's the kind of borrower you need. Absolutely. I like to say I want a borrower who will cut their own throat to make me whole because they know that as soon as they get stitched up, I'll loan them money again. Exactly right. So integrity is everything. Absolutely. And integrity, not only to other people, but integrity to oneself, because that's where it all starts and flows out. And I like the fact that you said, you know, you Google people's names. That's one of my tricks that I do as well. One of the first, inevitably, one of the first websites that comes up is the ripoff report. Right. right? So you'll see the coaches, you know, the coaches or the consultants that uh, people were upset against. Someone asked me, I don't normally require background checks because I, like you, I live mostly local in my backyard to people I know. But in a sense where you don't, if you're in loaning out of state, then I would almost certainly suggest or require that a background check in their local county, federal deficiency judgments, lawsuits. I mean, everybody's going to have their own criteria. I loan more on people that I know, like, and trust. And if you're coming to me for the first time for a loan, we better have known each other for a few trips. We've gone on financial friends network trips or something like that. I just don't open my checkbook and do it to anybody. You just laid it out very simply and said it beautifully. People always come, as soon as they hear you have a self-directed IRA or that you're a private lender, the hand is out and what are your terms? Someone's like, no, you got to romance me a little bit. We need to know a little bit more about each other because the way I look at it is the same as you do. There's the property and the person, but I look at the person first, but I also look at their process, right? So if somebody's a landlord and they want to start flipping, not with my money. Exactly. If they want to go in and say, hey, I'm going to flip this house, there's plenty of hard money brokers out there that'll be more than happy to help them out and to help them be successful. That's exactly right. If the borrower is going outside of his normal area of expertise, that's no good. I had a deal one time where I loaned money to a guy and he had borrowed money from me quite successfully, three or four loans, I think, and they were always on pretty houses. And he was lived in California in Houston. Then he came upon this property that had four very small houses on one lot. And they were in, well, let's see, the less socioeconomically advanced areas, i.e. the hood. 
<laughs> I said, I don't know about this. I like the borrower, but not the property. But luckily, I got a personal guarantee from his rich daddy. And when the loan went south, after he made all of his payments, every one of them, I think he thought I'd take the property back. But instead, I wrote a letter to, or had my attorney write a letter to him and to his daddy saying, I'm going to sue you in Houston and domesticate the judgment where you've got millions of dollars in California. And a week later, I got a check. Imagine how things happen that quickly. That is funny. So you took a personal guarantee from the dad. That was one of your rules that you taught me early on was if you're lending to an entity, make sure you get a personal guarantee. Absolutely. That is one thing I have always stuck by that I learned from you guys at Quest. And it's a great, solid, solid piece of advice. The other thing is if it starts going south, start taking action immediately because you can always stop something once you start it, but you can't finish it until you begin it, right? That's correct. That's one of my little catchphrases there. You can always stop something once you start it, but you can't finish it until you begin it. So that goes with landlording and lending and a lot of other things. If you think it's going south, start the process and then stop it later if it works out. It's a lot easier to call the attorney the day of the auction in the morning and say, hey, nope, it's all good. Cancel it. Right. Then it is to go six or however many months with a bad note. My landlording experience, I was so kind. I gave somebody five months of free rent. He filed bankruptcy. Very kind. It was very kind to me. And, but that was my lesson learned. Fortunately, I didn't learn that lesson on a note or a loan. But again, going back to what you used to teach or still teach there at Quest is start immediately. The second, if the day that that payment is late, start the process because you can always stop it. Yeah. And I tell you, a friend of mine put it this way, that if you're going to have to rip off a Band-Aid, you better do it now because it ain't getting better. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is true. So outside of colleagues, investors, or friends, are there any other people that you recommend having a, a boots on the ground away, realtors, for example, or appraisers? Well, that could be them. I, I have tended not to use realtors or I don't know the appraisers. I make sure appraisals are done, but I don't know the appraisers. And I always check the con the appraisal over because I know enough to know how to look at an appraisal. But that's all. I'm not an appraiser. But I think a realtor can be quite useful if you know one in the area. I think investors think differently than realtors do typically. And obviously, there are realtors that are investors. But the investor mindset is just something completely different than your average human being. It's not better or worse. It's just different. So I tend to have due diligence partners that are investors like me. And that's who I like to use just personally. Yeah, likewise, because I've had some people reach out to me and say, hey, you're loaning in Illinois, Kentucky, Iowa. And I tell them not yet. I'm still learning how to crawl before I walk across state lines. And it's all about comfort for me because I'm not there. I, I like to see and touch the property. I like to drive by it myself. I've invested in some less than desirable areas, but I knew that going into it. And when I drove through the area, everything kind of seemed to fall in line. Well, I've made some good money in less desirable areas too. But at this point, if I drove through a less socioeconomically advanced area, I'd probably have like this target drawn on the back of my head on my bald spot. But wait a minute, I have no bald spot, but whatever. <laughs> because if I'm driving down through there in my Lexus, it takes a certain type of personality to do that, which I no longer have. 
though I have, like you, made in the past a lot of successful real estate deals in those areas. It's just at this point in my life, it's not something I should or want to do. But make an interesting point. A lot of people say, well, let's loan just in the local area. And I think that's perfectly valid theory. But in some sense, you're limiting yourself to deals which are really good. But in order to lend out of state or out of your area, you do have to have a network. I'm famous, Keith, as we're saying, your network is everything. Is It's the most important aspect you can have as a real estate investor. It's not money. It's an investment network where you can get advice and hear the words of experience. Because you know what experience is. You've probably heard me say this before. You know what experience is, don't you? Go ahead and tell the listeners. Yeah, it's what you get right after you need it. (laughs) So if you have a network, you can actually rely on other people's experience. But then also you meet people from other states and other areas. Like one time when we had the flood three years ago in the Houston area, We had the flood and I didn't invest for, in fact, I haven't invested since the flood, Harvey, in the Houston area because there are some disruptions in the real estate market, as you can imagine, with all those flooded homes. And I still haven't returned to lending in the Houston area. I go other parts of Texas and various other states where I have the boots on the ground. But it allows you to have a broader spread of where you lend, which usually is diversification, is a good thing. And so I would encourage anybody to build the network, come to the Financial Friends Network, come to the Quest Expo, and just meet other people. And don't jump into bed with them right away, but be there. And and by the way, networking is not, I'll say what it's not, it's not collecting somebody's card and sticking it in a folder. Networking is a process. It's like a little baby. You have to nurture it and raise it up and meet people and not be shy and don't give them a business card, for example, that says Exxon Mobil Corporation Engineer. Well, who the hell? I don't care about your engineering. I want to see real estate investor. I want to see you be not shy. I want to see you wear bright pink shirts and meeting. And I put it this way, and and I'm a church-going man, but Everybody in my church more or less knows what I do, and I never say a word about it. It's got to be obvious to people what you do without you having to brag on it. you got to have an elevator speech. I mean, there's a 100 things you do to build your network. But that is where the center of real estate investing is, is building a network. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone in the Houston area has gone and done more than you guys in providing opportunities for investors and lenders borrowers to come together and to do just that, to network. And you've already plugged the expo, which we're going to get to shortly, but you guys have these things. One of my favorite events at Quest is Fright Night and you get to dress up. People are in Halloween. It's always in October, but they have people come up on stage and tell their horror stories of, you know, deals gone bad. And normally at networking events, it's all positive and rah-rah. And that's what I love. It's like, no, this is real. The stakes do happen. No investment is hundred percent sound. I don't care if it's a CD, if it's government backed, Sorry, I don't have a whole lot of faith in any government except to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So having a FDIC insurance really doesn't make me feel all that much better. There's risk in stocks, bonds, real estate, but mitigating your risk, knowing the game up front, 
and more importantly, knowing the people that can help you up front before, like you said, experience is what, what you get after you need it. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, Quincy has a lot of uh, cool little terms and phrases that he, he'll throw out. Well, fortunately, he's built Quest Trust Company up to where he doesn't have to teach very many classes anymore. But I remember a time when you were hustling every Tuesday and Thursday night and Saturday afternoons. Options next week. Yeah, yeah see, he's still teaching. That's yeah. I'm still teaching. That's really good. But while we're on the expo, let's talk about that because last year you had your first one up in Dallas and I was lucky enough. I was able to get a booth and attend. It really just blew my mind. What an incredible weekend. And this year it's in Houston, which makes me even happier. Yeah. Me too. Me too. But it's not just for real estate. Obviously, there's a lot of real estate centric topics. I'm going to say something maybe a little bit off color, but to some people, but I won't curse. But I remember taking a class. And your brother, Nathan, was teaching years ago. Why did I know the off-color part was something <laughs> my brother said? So uh, he'll be coming on in a few weeks too. But Nathan was talking about, um, at the time, one of Quest's most successful investors was not a real estate investor, had nothing to do with property, but actually worked with horses and was able to purchase horse semen with his IRA and turn around and make profit by selling it to other people to inseminate their mares. and. It was funny because here's a whole room full of real estate people. <laughs> and you could just tell the air just went right out of the room like, do I need to get into horses? You know, <laughs> it was a funny moment when Nathan was like, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, this is one of our... We had somebody do exactly that. Yes, I like self-directed IRAs because I can make private loans out of it. But I can also invest in LLCs, private companies. There's a whole smorgasbord of things that the IRS will allow you to invest in. And Quest is there to help keep you safe. Well, the thing is, we talked about there's always risk in everything, and you're right. What the best use of a self-directed IRA is for is to invest in what you know best. And by doing that, in your case, it's hard money, private money lending. In doing that, ameliorate or reduce your risk and are able to diversify. So that's an important aspect of self-directed. Nobody's going to give you the investments. That's up to you to find the investments. But at least you control it rather than giving it to a fund manager, which is always looking brilliant when the market's going up. And well, what happens when it's going down? You just stick with it, of course, according to them. Yeah. Why do brokers make money when the market goes down? They didn't make anybody any money. They, well, we didn't lose as much. Therefore, we deserve our bonuses. That's always never clicked in my head. But the other thing that you mentioned is diversity. And that's why I'm looking at going across state lines, because as you know, Houston, we're very dependent on energy, oil, gas, and we, we can throw renewables into that as well. And I know you remember the 1980s like I remember the Oh, 1980s. I certainly do. <laughs> it was not a happy time. Three and four houses in a row owned by the government. It was really wild. Absolutely. Interest rates on retail mortgages, 12 to 16%. It was nuts. But I tend to shy away from the coast just because of thinking about lending out there because of the volatility aspect. That's a fair assessment. But that's not to say that there aren't people that can do it, that are there and know how to do it successfully and can hedge those bets for market downturns or, or, or swings. And he said that diversification, you know, in a city that's not dependent on energy, maybe it's tech or healthcare or some other industry. Probably don't want to get on a conversation about manufacturing in the United States at this point in time, but you know, whatever that industry may be, diversify away from it. Because we know everyone in Houston knows that there's a pretty good chance that if they're related to oil or oil services, their chances of having to find a new job every three or four years is pretty high. But that helps us because we can help them show them how to make private loans and use that money with that old 401k. There you go with the old 401k. That's exactly right. 
that's it. Let's man. be clear about one thing. I, I did want to clarify this. I have no problem with people investing in the stock market. It's just not what I do. And therefore, it's what I choose not to invest my money in something that I don't really know and then understand and can control. When I take property back from my private money loans, I usually make money, sometimes a lot of money. And that's because I'm controlling risk by investing in what I know best, which in my case personally is real estate. And I'm right there with you. I still have some of my portfolio. Back to your diversification. I think it pays to have some money on Wall Street. It'd be silly not to, or in banks or some other vehicle. It doesn't have to necessarily be real estate or bonds or stocks, but just to have your eggs, a little bit of, not a whole lot. Most of my money is with you guys, as you know, it's with Quest, except for my current 401k that I can't touch yet. I'm hoping maybe later this year I'll be able to, but I've already stipulated I'm going to put 10% of that back for stock market stuff. I'll be honest, I'll put it out there on the internet. I'm going to try to time the market with a little bit of that money. The rest of it is going to go into real estate and hard loans because I understand it. I can mitigate the risk up front. If I don't like the deal, I can lower my loan to value require more skin in the game from the borrower. If it's a dodgy deal, one of my best deals, I'll say, I told the borrower, I said, look, if this thing appraises at 150,000, I'll loan you the 70. It was a strip center, a small strip center over in Texas City. And the appraiser came, his dad was a commercial appraiser. I said, no, you can't use your dad. We got to use an independent third party. He was like, that's fine. Got picked the appraiser. He paid for it. And the property came back appraised at 305 as is. I guess I would have made that loan too. I looked at him. I said, look, you can default on this loan. Well, I tell my borrowers that all the time. <laughs> yeah. You can default and I'll borrow. To, if you can bring deals like this, I'll loan to you. I mean, that, that was the quickest $70,000 I'd ever left my hand. I'll just based off that commercial appraisal. So anyway, I digress. Let's talk about the big party that's going to go down on August 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the Royal Sinesta in Houston. That is the Quest Expo. That should be quite an experience. And one of the things that's really important is not only are you going to run into three to 500 of your co-investors or people that are knowledgeable, you're also going to have a series of great vendors and education that will be next, uh, what a number one quality education. And there's no sales whatsoever from the stage. So I understand that other people I don't say I have competitors, but there are other companies that offer similar services. And you go to some of their meetings and it's sales rushed to the back of the room. Quest has never done that. And because one, I just, I don't like it, but it just takes away from the education aspect. And yes, we charge a little bit for the tickets because it costs over $100,000 to put on one of these events. But remember, that if you're trying to build a network, there's going to be people from all over the country that are flying in to come to that event and vendors that you can rely on and talk to, get some information and to see what they do and to see if you want to use their services. So I think it's going to be an incredible, important event for people to attend if they want to build a network and get great information without being sold to constantly, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I can vouch for that. Uh, as much as the education classes I've gone to at Quest, and unfortunately, not as many these days, but never a sales pitch. If somebody has a service or a product you're interested in after the fact, that is welcome. You can contact them, but nothing is sold. Last year, nothing was sold on stage at the Quest Expo. And it was really, even the lunches 
were incredible. There was a lot of great vendors. I interviewed some of them after the expo, met them. Larry Goins, one of them. The first bit of real estate education I ever bought came from Larry Goins. And when I saw him, I I almost bear hugged him and and said, I'm not letting go until you get on my podcast. Well, he's quite a character. I like Larry. Yeah, he is. And it's going to be even bigger this year. It was a good size last year, I thought. First time in an inaugural event. Right. Good size. And this year, it's going to be even bigger. And you guys have graciously provided our listeners with a discount, 25% off your already reasonable ticket price using the code PL podcast. And you can go to the show notes page and learn, get that discount code and links to it. And I highly recommend if you're even considering real estate or expanding your network, you need to come out August 23rd to Houston. Quest Trust Company Expo. And obviously you'll have a lot of people from Houston, but think about what I just said. People are so interested in this event that they're flying in from all over the country to attend it. Now, if you go somewhere where people find the value so high that you actually go and fly somewhere and pay for hotels and flights to go there, it ought to be an event that you probably should be at. No, absolutely. Not only do people come in from all over the country, I've met people from across the world, the last year's Quest Expo. So there were some people from New Zealand and I'm going to say from England as well. Yeah, no, it, it's a great time. You'll get to see the man himself. Are you going to speak, Quincy? Oh, uh, yes. They'll assign me some. I'm sure they already have me assigned a topic, but I always think it's amazing that the night before I've been so busy the night before and when I've had several months to prepare for the speech. So I rarely prepare for anything anymore because it really doesn't do any good. It just puts stress on me. And so I've done this enough. I usually just wing it. I think you'll be okay. (laughs) The old joke, how would I have known months ago that I was going to be so busy the night before? Yeah. Uh, I'm an attorney and therefore I often kind of doing it the last minute. Deadline, an attorney loves the deadline. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. (laughs) I would say that's accurate. I'm poking too much fun at myself, aren't I? No, no, no. That's what I love about talking to you. And Oh, and I got to say this. A couple of times ago, I saw Quincy. He was poor guy was coming out of the restroom of a movie theater. And I told my kids, I was like, hey, look, there's Quincy. (laughs) And Quincy's just like, oh, uh, hi. (laughs) It happens all the time. It happened at lunch today, you know. (laughs) And I realized, I'm like, I'm sorry to accost you outside of a men's room at a movie theater. (laughs) How are you? How are you doing? Yeah, you were gracious with me. So yeah, go to the privatelenderpodcast.com slash expo. You get all the information you need there. Quincy, I want to thank you for coming on today. But more importantly, I want to thank you for all of what you've done to the real estate community for Houston. And like again, there would be no Private Lender Podcast if there was no Quincy Long and uh, Quest Trust Company. So thank you. Really, really appreciate it, Keith. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you in August. All right. See Take you care. And there you have it, Lender Nation, the interview with Quincy Long from Quest Trust Company. Remember, go to privatelenderpodcast.com for the show notes. This is episode 80. If you want links or more information about Quincy, his lending criteria, or the Quest Expo that's coming up this August 23rd through the 25th, 2019 at the Royal Sinesta Galleria in Houston. Come on out. I'll be there. Stop by, say hello, and sign up. I'm going to be giving away coaching sessions and all types of stuff. Hopefully, I'm going to give out some discounts for Quest fees as well. They usually give me a few discounts to hand out. So come on, stop on by, say hello. And while you're at it, just go to privatelenderpodcast.com and sign up for 
the application guide and checklist. And I did that last episode, walk you through kind of bit by bit the application process and the little guide to help you work your way through it and to get the documentation you need to keep yourself safe and keep your money even safer. That's going to do it for this episode. I appreciate you listening. I do appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to this while you're working out, running, or running errands, or maybe commuting into work, or maybe you're in a meeting. Who knows? Maybe on an airplane. But it means a lot, and it also means a lot that you guys keep reaching out to me. I, I can't say thank you enough. The good and the bad and the ugly, I want to hear it all. What you'd like to hear, what you like, what you disliked, Keith at privatelenderpodcast.com. Just drop me an email. And until I see you on the next episode, I wish you all safe and prosperous private lending. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.